Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. I'm Duffy Dixon. Let me introduce you to the CEO of the Soar Vision Group, Ben Sawyer, who has over 30 years of executive leadership experience. Ben, you launched the Soar Vision Group to help align people with purpose to achieve exceptional results. That's right. Missing this week again is our COO of Soar Vision Group, Jennifer Strahan. And as we mentioned last week, she is working on her doctoral cohort. Is that how I say it? Mm-hmm. We're working on it, yes. And she's been hard at work on that. In the meantime, juggling a family, her job as COO, so we are missing her. We're cutting her a lot of slack. It's that's all right. good. That's right. She'll have to come <laughs> back and pull double duty. That's it. Um, also, very important, uh, our welcome guest is Al Faber, who is the president and CEO of the Baldrige Foundation. And we are so happy to have you because we've talked a lot about the Baldrige Foundation. It's nice to put your face with the organization. Well, thank you, Duffy. It's exciting to be here. So last week... We talked about the Baldridge, your connection with it, Al, the significance of it, and there were a few themes that came out in last week that I was thinking for the listeners might be helpful to kind of connect the dots back. One of the themes that we ended with was leadership and the significance of leadership in making sure that organizations actually can be successful. So many listeners will remember that with in a leadership role, there is both authority and responsibility, but they are different. So authority is inherent in your title and position, but responsibility is shared with the front line, and in many cases is actually an experiment that allows the organization to respond to things that are happening in real time and be able to adjust accordingly. So with that context, Unpack that a little bit more for us in terms of the significance of leadership within the leadership category and how the Baldridge helps to influence that with organizations. Well, the Baldridge criteria has seven categories, as you know. It is not by mistake that category one is leadership because it all begins with leadership. As we all know, the culture of the organization is vested in the senior leader. And so role model senior leaders who lead by example who over-communicate, and who take care of their people. Because at the end of the day, uh, employees and stakeholders within an organization want to know that they have compassionate leadership, but also driven leadership to accomplish their organizational goals, but somebody who actually cares about them. Because at the end of the day, we've said this for 30 years, and we all know this now, people don't quit their job, they quit their boss. That's right. And so... The implication of that is it's almost a servant leader mindset. Absolutely. Servant leadership is something we've talked about for years. As a matter of fact, our highest level individual award at the Baldrige Foundation, the Harry S. Hertz Leadership Award, is given out each year in honor of Harry Hertz, who was a role model servant leader. And that helps us to annually reinforce the importance of it by recognizing a servant leader somewhere across not only the Baldrige community, but outside the Baldrige community. This year's award recipient, for example, was Nick Maschione. He runs the health services part of the San Diego, the County of San Diego in California. And Nick has taken the Baldrige criteria and 
institutionalized it across one of the largest counties in the United States. His passion for Baldridge, his passion for people have truly created an exceptional, high-performing organization and a role model for county leaders across the nation. Yeah, I had a chance to talk with Nick, as you know, and I could not have been more impressed. Uh, a very, very effective and engaging leader. It was really fun to be able to have that conversation with him. So leadership then if that's essentially what permeates and sort of drives where the organization gets, what are the gaps in organizational performance that leaders typically run into that they're having to overcome? Because they're the orchestra leaders, right, basically. I mean, if you, if you create this metaphor of a, of a, a big or, orchestral band, everybody's got to be in tune and be on the same page and the same, you know, the same chorus sheet. So what are the gaps that typically leaders will run into? Well, you know, we all develop a strategic plan. And as you've said on a number of occasions, everybody has a strategy. Execution is the problem. Right. Right. And, and so it's the ability to take that strategy and operationalize it down to the lowest level frontline employees and be able to do it with lightning speed in real time to ensure that when you look, think of it systematically, that all of our workforce processes, all of our stakeholder processes support that in terms of performance measurement, performance management, human resource management, hiring the right people, taking the time to hire the right people to do the job, what we need accomplished, training them, retraining them if necessary, because as we know, employee turnover costs us all. And, and so being able to do all of that in a systematic way uh, to be able to operationalize our strategies and take them down to the lowest level employee, that is really what's key to a high-performing organization and what we're all trying to get at, organizational alignment. So there were three things that you described in, in that soliloquy, of, of, which was great, of kind of how organizations are structured. One was you, you mentioned the, the knowledge gap. So the idea there is that if people don't even know what the strategy is, which research says only about 5% actually understand how their job connects to the strategy, so it's pretty rampant. If they don't even know what the strategy is, and therefore they don't know what to do to align with the strategy, that sounds like one of the gaps that was inherent in what you were saying. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, we talk about in Baldrige, a clear line of sight, a clear line of sight from frontline employees to what the organization itself is trying to achieve. Once they do, that helps shape their decision making. It helps shape their uh, ability to interface with the customer on behalf of the organization because they can now reflect and articulate what the organization is all about and what it's trying to achieve to exceed customer satisfaction. So that underscores the second problem which is performance. So if they don't have line of sight and they're not connected, they tend to default to the tyranny of the urgent or what they perceive to be important, which becomes their real work. Whether it's the real work of the organization or not is kind of immaterial because they're disconnected. They're putting so, out the fires? Yeah, they're putting okay. out the fires, right? They're saying, hey, you know, it, in, the fact that I don't understand the strategy doesn't make any difference because I've got this problem right now that I'm dealing with. Now, the, the challenge with that is when I act to put out a fire, I may very well be subverting what the strategy is because I'm using resources and time and other kinds of things to solve that that the organization has other priorities for. It doesn't mean the fire is not important. It just means we need to prioritize and do what is right first and what is urgent second, right? So important versus urgent. So that performance gap, which you've now talked about twice, 
is very prevalent, right, in terms of organizational performance. Talk to us again about sort of how that is addressed with the Baldridge and also with the kinds of tools that we're you know, working with together to be able to address that. Well, that's one of the things I like about the SOAR Vision Group and the tools that you offer to actually help leaders at every level in real time make the right decisions based on what the organization is trying to accomplish because at the end of the day, it's all about communicating those priorities, communicating those boundaries of leadership so that leaders are, feel empowered and confident that they can make the right decision not only with their own people, but when they interface with customers. You know, when we have those processes and systems in place throughout the organization, it strengthens and helps us again, once again, can overemphasize the need to operationalize our strategies. Right, so a couple examples for the listeners in that in terms of tools are mission control. So they everybody knows about that in airports. Right. But how else would an air traffic control place manage all these planes coming in if they didn't have it? Mission control is also used in the military extensively, right, in terms of... Oh, absolutely. I mean, without it, how do you manage a battle? That's right. So, uh, and, and so you have mission control, but you also uh, have a cadence and a structure of communication. We call it catchball, which means that the senior leaders have a monthly cadence of lining up with the strategy and how are we doing and they are assigned as deployment leaders to their particular strategy that they own. It's like they're the chief scientist for the organization on their strategy. And then the next level down, which is really where strategy is run from, is middle management. So there's a weekly cadence with them to say, how's it going? You know, where are you at? And then there's a daily cadence with the front line. And that catch ball process of cascading from senior leaders down to the front line and back, bathes the organization, bathes the organization in uh, a process that helps them overcome performance gaps. So that that was number one, which was knowledge. Number two was performance. Number three that you talked about was where are you at in real time, which is a visibility gap. So again, let's just kind of unpack that for the listeners relative to the Baldridge how important is that that an organization as a whole pretty much understands where they at are in real time? Well, what Category 4 helps us understand is the importance of knowledge management. Because in the past, using Excel spreadsheets and looking at data in the rear view mirror, all of those lagging indicators don't help us in real time and in anticipating what comes next. So where are the leading indicators? Where's that leading data that we're going to need? How do we measure it in real time right now? And you hit the nail on the head. You know, what we used to call in the military operational tempo, or what you just called the cadence of an organization. A disciplined process, again, getting back to category six of the criteria, that disciplined process that everybody understands of having a a senior level, mid-level, lower level, front line level huddle each and every day or once a week, whatever the op tempo of the organization is, but that rolls back up and then rolls back down. And then when you have that, you've created that line of sight that every right. organization needs. Right, that's so true. So so when we're talking here, this is not theoretical, like this is structural. When you're putting together a high performance organization, you have to have structures that address knowledge gaps you have to have structure that addresses performance gaps. You have to have structure that addresses visibility gaps. So let's talk about 
sort of the metrics that matter. In other words, how do you make sure that you get the right things done? So in our last week's show, we uh, used the example of, of driving a, a car. Uh, we'll just expand on that a little bit. So um, <clears throat> you talked about windshield versus rear view mirror, right? That's right. And we talked about metrics that matter. So in Atlanta, which is perhaps some of the worst traffic in I the world. I would say it's ranked number one every now and <laughs> then. Pretty much yeah. in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, it's awful. All right, so when I'm out on 85, and there's 12 lanes, mm -hmm. six lanes on my side, there are a couple leading metrics that matter to me, which are, am I within my lines? Am I too close to the car in front of me? And what speed am I going, right? All the other data, like I don't, how many cars are out there? Like if somebody said to me, did you realize there were 3 million cars on the road today? Whatever. Like that doesn't make any difference to me right now because it's not a metric that matters, right. right? So let's talk in our spheres. Um, and Al, if you don't mind, let's just start with you. So in the military, give us some examples for the listeners of sort of metrics that matter and volume metrics that don't. Uh, I'll give you one of the key ones that matters, and, and ironically enough, it can be applied because it is certainly applicable to any sector in any industry across the country, and that is, for us, the retention of soldiers for every employer, the retention of the people who work for them, their stakeholders, because as we all know as leaders, uh, retraining, rehiring, all of that costs us an unbelievable amount of money, and so that's why the criteria Aldrich criteria places so much emphasis in workforce on retention of employees. Uh, it starts with hiring the right employee, taking the time, because the theory that uh, nobody is better than, or somebody is better than nobody, that's a bad theory. Right. That is a bad theory. You are far better off taking the time to hire the right person based on your organization's, not just their mission, but their vision and their values. Because if the people buy into the values of an organization, the chances are that they're going to want to work for that organization longer term. And so if we can do all of those satisfying things that retain quality people, in this case, quality soldiers, and what we learned in the Army was it wasn't just retaining the soldier, it's retaining their whole family. Right. And so it's that hierarchy of needs, and, and everybody is truly, these days, um, faced with the challenges of health care, faced with the challenges of being able to send their kids to the right schools, and having that entire community support wrapped around a soldier so that they feel comfortable doing the job and that they're equally, that their family is being taken care of at all times. And so how we apply that across across just any industry or any sector is critically important to reducing our employee costs because again, turnover costs us all. So to connect the dots, Morton Hansen, who co-authored Good to Great with Jim Collins, just published a new book called Great at Work, and he is going to be the keynote at the conference that Al, you and I are, are co-facilitating and supporting in Chicago next week. And he spends a lot of time about on this, which is what he calls value metrics, which are measures that matter, actually matter, like what you just explained, um, versus volume metrics. So give us an example in the military of a volume metric. It just is, but it doesn't necessarily have a lot of relevance to what's going on. Well, un unfortunately, what can be a volume metric is uh, the, the amount of people that you burn through. Okay, and, and so what you have to be careful of, while it seems like there is an unending supply of young people willing to join the military, okay, it costs you the retraining and the, and the just bringing people on board, right. how much that costs you makes that retention 
of a soldier and their family a critical key metric for you? Right. So right person, right role, retain them. That's right. Yeah. So, Duffy, you've, you've been in the broadcast industry. 27 your, years. Yeah. Yes. Your, your career. So I, I'm sure you have examples of this. What, what are examples in broadcasting of a value metric versus a volume metric? It's interesting, but not particularly relevant. Well, I think this is something that television news especially is struggling with. Uh, it used to be that we, depending on how many people were watching your nightly newscast, a ratings. I mean, that's, you know, and if you have the most people watching your news show, that means you can charge the most money for someone who wants to buy a commercial during that show. I mean, that sets everything because that, if you, if the value of what you're doing is the highest, you can make the most money with revenue. So here comes the internet and here comes social media. And that has sort of thrown the whole industry for a big loop. Because now, not only are we not just looking at ratings, we have a number of people, a news organizations have a number of people who are online, who go to websites. Uh, we even use other um, platforms, right. Facebook, Twitter. Right. So a lot of times news meetings in the morning start with how many people clicked onto our, click, be the story I did out in the field. How many, and I put it out on platforms and said, if you want more information, go to our website. One of the first things they'll say is, this many people visited our website yesterday. This was the number one story they were interested in. Whether you think that's valuable or not, that's where they're at now. Because you can't just wait for nightly ratings. Because so many people are consuming news across so many platforms. There's a big thing called going viral. That is considered a big get when you have a story that went viral. Now, can anyone say how it went viral and why it went viral? That's can be a very much an unknown, but that's also very important because you reached all those people that quickly. So that is a really interesting point that persistent curiosity, which we talked about before, will dig into that and say, so how can we make sure that all our stories that are important go viral? Well, that's, I wish I, I wish I could tell you how often right? that question and that, that topic has come up and the answer is no one knows right and when the minute you try to make something viral you're just destroying the whole process right going viral the the the, the thing about going viral is yeah curiosity the moment what grabs someone's attention what is going on in the world what is going on in the city you just never know and sometimes it is something catastrophic sometimes it is something adorably cute sometimes it is something you know important news or not important news so yeah this this idea of trying to capture the going viral is good luck with that if, if anyone figures that out i'd love to know it right so part of the value to volume transaction always relates to the customer whether it's an internal customer like the soldier right or whether it's an external customer like the audience and the listening a, a large way of being able, or a key way of being able to determine whether it's a value metric or a volume metric is what is the direct relationship to the customer. So I'll give an example in healthcare. So healthcare is replete with data. How many transactions did we have in pharmacy? How many patients did we discharge today? How many nurses are you know, in the hospital, in the house? The list goes on. And the challenge is within that onslaught of data, there are few uh, needles in those haystacks that you want to find, but I'll be darned if it's hard to find them just because of the sheer volume of data. However, when you look at it from the standpoint of a consumer or a patient, 
then it becomes really clear. So if, if a patient is in the hospital, they are there for a certain condition which has a certain length of stay associated with that. That becomes pretty important for them. Oh, yeah. And it becomes pretty important for the institution because if they're not able to give high-quality care within that time frame, they're going to pay for it out of their own pocket, and they also have the potential of that patient coming back called a readmission for that condition. So there's two big metrics. One is I need to know what my patient's length of stay is right when they come in and how do I manage against that, like day one of four, day two of four, day three of four. Am I making progress? Am I going to get out on time? Yeah, so if I don't know that and it just floats, the the patient is definitely going to stay longer than they need to, which is not good for them or us. The other value metric is readmissions. Like if they're coming back for the same condition because we didn't do it right the first time, that's a value metric you want to be able to concentrate on. So I would just say to the listeners that no matter what industry you're in or have experience in, just like we've had experience in our respective industries, there are value metrics, metrics that matter, and there are volume metrics that may be important, particularly as a context, but are not actually the thing that is going to drive your value stream or your activity of what you need to do to be able to meet the the consumer demand, right? So you you always have talked about this, um, Duffy, which is if you make a call to a customer and somebody doesn't pick up, that's pretty important. Yeah, that's pretty important. Like that's a value metric. Well, and yeah, and we talked about, I think at that point, a business needs to look at, wait a minute, Maybe it is worth staffing someone on that telephone who's going to be knowledgeable, answer the phone, and direct me in the right, in the right direction. Or do we say, well, we're, we'll save money. Let's just have a phone mail system. Let's right. just have an automated system. Let's have them go through 12 different lines <laughs> and then shoot them out the end without any answer <laughs> exactly. because and it's then, cheaper. And then the, the system just hangs up on you. Right. Right. So, so the idea up front of what is cheaper, or I think you always have to be thinking what is best for your, your con- customer, what, what is best for your consumer. And I'm telling you, in this day and age, as much as everything is automated, I will do business with the people who, even if I have to leave a message, with the people who call me back. Even if it's to tell me we can't get you right now, but we're aware of it, I will do business with them. All right. So I, I think uh, what's yeah. really important about what she just said is – how do leaders and how do organizations prioritize? Because it's prioritizing those value versus volume metrics that really allows an organization to move forward rapidly. At the end of the day, performance excellence is about delivering and increasing value to customers and stakeholders. And what you will find more often than not is that those value-based metrics are the ones that are directly impacting the customer and directly impacting your stakeholders. Right. So. Let's talk about the behaviors that we sometimes see in organizations that are not necessarily promoting value, either to the internal stakeholders to build a culture of, of high trust and high performance or building customer loyalty. So I think you gave us a couple last week, Debbie. Well, I think we've all been in, in situations when you're in a, a workforce um, and, and something comes up, let's, it's putting out a fire or it's not putting out fire, it's just something that needs to be done. I'm sure someone's heard this. It's not my job. That oh well, that's not my job. The copier runs out of paper. Okay, we no longer have a secretary in the newsroom. I think we'd behoove everybody to figure out how to fill the copier, or better yet, when you fill the copier for your own stuff, put a little paper in there. It's just yeah. not. But we're solving the problem now. Everyone has a copier. Um, that's one of them. Uh, what was the other one I brought up? The other one was. Um 
We've always done it that way. Oh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> in the changing, as I've told you, the television yeah. news industry has changed rapidly and continues to. And so there's nothing better than the person who says, and again, this comes from leadership. When leadership says, we're going to do this differently. I love when they tell you why, because I, I think we're all why people. That's curiosity. Once you tell me the why, I make the decision whether I agree with it or not. But you at least have the vision. But you always have someone who says, but we've always done it this way. Right. Now, right. that's not saying it's successful, is it? It's no. just saying, but that's what I've always done. So does done. that mean we should keep doing it because right. you've always done it that way? Because apparently if we're <laughs> discussing how to change it, it's because it's not yeah. working well, yeah. right? Yeah, as Einstein said, that's actually kind of a definition of insanity. Insanity. Which is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different exactly. result, right? That's the whole idea. So behaviors, Al, are pretty closely tied to values, and values are essential within the Baldrige framework. Connect the dots a little bit for us on that of of the behaviors, kind of the round tiers, if you will, of an organization, and um, and then the behaviors that that generates. Sure, the, the core values and concepts certainly underpin the entire criteria for performance excellence. The basis of the criteria is a set of core values and concepts that are embedded beliefs and behaviors found in high-performing organizations. So what we find are if you ascribe to the Baldrige criteria and buy into its core values, buy into its key concepts, uh, one of the concepts being, for example, managing for innovation, okay? Not just saying let's innovate, but actually having a process right. for innovation and having several of them throughout the organization right. that feed up into an overall system of innovation in the organization, then you demonstrate that you have a commitment to being an innovative organization. That's a, that's a great example. So um, for the listeners, let's connect it back to the visual Baldrige and the organizational hierarchy of needs. So for all of you listening, um, you can go to the Leader Dialogue website. It's uh, Leader Dialogue is D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E dot com. And on the homepage, you will find the organizational hierarchy of needs, what we refer to as the visual Baldrige. And what we're going to do is just kind of connect the dots for you of what we talked about in this deep dive session. So first of all, with leadership, leadership permeates it all. Is that correct? Absolutely. It begins and ends with leadership. And so without effective leadership, it's going to be very hard for any organization to meet its organizational hierarchy of needs effectively and to engage its colleagues to fulfill customer value, to have any sense of operational efficiency, and ultimately be able to financially perform, to live another day to invest, right? So leadership, exactly. absolutely critical. Exactly. Okay. Uh, the second is we talked about the gaps, and the gaps cross-map exactly to that. So if I have a knowledge gap, it will first evidence itself in I don't know what the strategy is and therefore I can't execute, right? The second knowledge gap is I don't know how the organization is performing financially. So again, I don't know what I need to do to be able to tie in. The if I don't have the knowledge of what the customer actually needs, I can't tap into demand. That's customer value. If I don't know how to work well with my colleagues to make it happen, I will not have organizational effectiveness. And if it's just all about me and not about anybody else, I will have no colleague engagement. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's exactly right. You know, one of the reasons that people embrace Baldridge or come to Baldridge, one of the key reasons CEOs and C-suite leaders come to us and they say that they've got just silos that are so hardened 
right. within their organization. There is absolutely no sense of teamwork throughout the organization, and it's all about their own individual performance, not the individual, or not the overall performance of the organization. Right. So performance being that second gap is actually totally supported by the Baldrige framework, and as represented uh, for the listener in the organizational hierarchy of needs. In other words, if we can all get on the same page and make it happen, the strategy will be executed because it's aligning people with purpose to achieve exceptional results. That's right. The organization can drive its financial performance. We can meet our customer needs effectively as an organization, which is the organizational effectiveness. And ultimately, because we're working together, we're building trust and alignment and so on. And then the third gap we talked about that cross maps is visibility. And again, visibility was look out the windshield, don't pay attention to what's in the rear view mirror. It's interesting, but maybe not relevant. And therefore, it's the metrics that matter in each of those categories, right? In other words, what are the metrics that matter that should be the priorities in the strategy? If, it's, if it doesn't actually matter, don't put it in strategy. Secondly, what are the financial metrics that actually matter? What are the customer value metrics that actually matter? What are the organizational efficiency metrics that actually matter? And what are the colleague engagement, retention, et cetera, that actually matter that tie into employee satisfaction and success? So I think, does that connect That sounds like, and I think what I'm hearing in this, and, and you talked about leadership meeting with all levels, everyone should be asking themselves, does this really matter? Is this, this part of our strategy? Are we... In the big scheme of things, does this is this important prioritizing? Are we and that's that's a very common question everyone should be asking. Right. Well, in life too. You right. Know? And you and you hit the nail on the head, Duffy. Uh, not just asking it, but continuously asking it because the only way that the organization grows, the only way that you really find yourself as a, personally and organizationally committed to continuous improvement is to continuously be asking yourself that question. So. Um, one thought that I have as a leader, having led a lot of organizations over my career, is I have a, a tool that I use called the four Ps. And so whenever I'm having a conversation with any um, leaders within organizations that I run, I, the first P is, are we aligned on priorities? Because if we're not aligned on priorities, it's going to be problematic. So that will be part of the first part of the conversation that I have with them. The second is, how are the people doing? Because if... We're aligned on priorities, but the people don't have what they need to be successful. Their role's not clear. They don't have computers. They don't have you know, the, the training or whatever they need. We're not going to get very far. The third P is process. So are the processes clunky, blocked, inefficient, wasteful? You know, you need supplies and you can't get them. Like is, so that P is an important part of the conversation. And then the fourth P is place. So I can't even tell you how many times, like in healthcare, people are having hallway conversations because there's no place for the team to meet, like on the unit. There's literally wow. no place. Mm -hmm. So they're out in the hallway, which is, which is providing confidential information to people that shouldn't be hearing it. Right. right. I was and, just thinking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, you know, place is, is pretty important. So those typically are the four Ps that I use that connect right back to the organizational hierarchy of needs. And as a part, Al, of that cadence you're talking about, which is how as a leader can I create a very, very consistent cadence every time I'm having a conversation, no matter where I'm at in the organization, to be able to basically have good alignment and, and ensure that people um, are all rowing in the same direction. 
You know, one of the most interesting examples of that that I've seen in quite some time. Uh, was recently with the Charter School of San Diego out in California last week. And when I was with them, I expected to see a traditional K-12 through school, brick-and-mortar school. What I ended up seeing was 42 resource centers across, spread across the city of San Diego, 8,000 wow. students, 350 wow. teachers. And that's the Charter School of San Diego, an award recipient organization that's completely aligned and talking with those teachers first you talk about place you walk into each of those resource centers they're bright they're completely open um, the enclosed areas that they have behind glass allow for teacher student one-on-one -on -one interaction like no other school i've ever seen before they are and the results that they are producing in terms of kids kids at high risk in a very difficult kids who can't go from one school to another because it crosses gang lines within the city right. of san diego so they're restricted to a certain neighborhood these teachers are breaking down so many different barriers uh, one of them i'll never forget alora a teacher totally aligned with the mission who had a student trying to get to a ged finish line and she couldn't get this student to the finish line because she needed $70, the student needed $70 to take this GED test. And that teacher was telling me about all the ways she was trying to work with the family who had no money, the local community. And she finally said, you know, I was gonna get that $70 and he was gonna get that test and graduate from high school or I was gonna write that check myself. <laughs> now that is organizational yeah. alignment with your frontline employees. Right. And it just brings it to Acting life. Acting like an owner. Yeah, it brings it to life. That's a great example. Such, such good conversations. Thank you so much, Al, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And again, this is wonderful to see the Baldridge Foundation and Soar Vision Group together in one room and really hammering it home. Thank you so much. For everyone who's been listening, remember you can always listen to us live or you can always get uh, any one of our Leader Dialogues if you want to go to leaderdialogue.com slash podcast. On behalf of Ben, Al, the the, the not so much here right now, Jennifer, who's coming back, um, and our producers, Trey and Mike. I'm Duffy Dixon. Join us next time on Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X. Mm -hmm.